first of all, let me let me just say, anytime you you move someone, it, it, uh, feel bad about it because you know you've gotten to know players and they've helped you out. You know whether it's last year, this year, so you wish them the best moving on. I, I know that from being a player. You know, when teams would go out, when we would go out and acquire someone, everyone's so excited. But at the same time, you realize that someone's on the way out. So thank the players for what they've done for the organization. And then at the same time, you get excited for the players that you bring in here. Look, we have to sit down. We have to evaluate the organization. Like I said before, this year, it's a disappointment up until this point. I think everyone in the clubhouse should be saying the same thing. If they're not, there's something wrong with them. Uh, we have high expectations, uh, so we have to figure out ways to get better. And just because it's a trade deadline doesn't mean you can't continue to make your, your team better, your organization better. So we'll continue to look at that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez, who's back in town for a few days. Dre, how are you? Good. Good to be home for a little bit before the chaos begins. You know, football practice all around the corner. So, you know, hitting all my favorite spots down here for a few days before before things get crazy. All right. Big question. What is the first stop? Oh, well, on the way back, no one's going to be shocked that I did a little pit stop at a certain coffee shop in Jupiter, which I always have to. But um, no, beyond that, I mean, you know, there's always, you know, the Cuban food places or, or, or you know, just hanging out um, basically in Coral Gables. I mean, you know, I'm trying to think because there, there's a couple here, you know, like anything in that Miracle Mile area I tend to go to because I've lived there for, for, for the longest you know, pretty much my whole life, really, in, in that vicinity. So, but just, you know, just good to be back, man. And, um, you know, not going to make it to, to, to good old Lone Depot Park or anything like that, unfortunately. Not going to have time for that. But I see there's a lot of new faces in town, you know, with the, with the moves that the Marlins made. And that's this is going to be like our post-trade di- deadline edition. So, yeah. with that said. With that said. Post-trade deadline edition, it's also August, so we know where Marlins baseball is trending to at this point. We'll touch on that part in a little bit, but to recap the trade deadline very quickly, Marlins made a handful of trades, the main one being Starling Marte going to the Oakland Athletics for left-handed pitcher and South Florida, South Florida's own Jesus Luzardo. Douglas grad, yep. Stoneman Douglas grad. Um, Gimme Garcia being traded to the Houston Astros for Brian De La Cruz, an outfielder who made his debut this last weekend, played all three games in right field, got his first MLB hit, made some decent contact, and also relief pitcher Austin Pruitt. And then they got a pair of catching prospects when they traded Adam Duvall to the back to the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. They got Alex Jackson in return. And then they traded John Curtis to the Milwaukee Brewers and got back catching prospect uh, Peyton Henry. So mm-hmm. overall, sort of the similar moves that we've seen from them over the last few years. Starling Marte, a guy who's going to be going to free agency after the extension didn't go through. You trade him for someone with a live team control, another starting pitcher, which just brings the pitch starting pitching depth, just adds – just continues to add to it. Give me Garcia, sort of what they did with, uh, sort of like similar to what they did with Sergio Romo two years ago. Flip a relief, a high, high leverage reliever who's on an expiring contract for a prospect. And then 
trade two guys, one who Adam Duvall, who most likely wasn't going to pick up his option for next year for a high end catching prospect. And then one of your relievers, one of their relievers who most likely big picture may not have been in their plans long-term to as well, similar to the Duvall thing, add catching depth, which has been a priority and has been a weak spot in the organization. Yeah, and that, that was the interesting – that's something that definitely caught my eye is how many catchers through both these moves and through the draft. You know, you have these moves you just mentioned. You know, they draft Joe Mack, a good quality potential prospect at the catching position. So now, in theory, it's not just Will Banfield. And not just that, but Jorge Alfaro might be hearing the footsteps as we're seeing, you know, the that, you know, we've wondered – is he going to be the player they hope he can? You know, he's, he's had his struggles. The Marlins trying to fortify, so it's not such a long wait to see who else is coming up through the system. So I think those moves are good overall. We're going to have to see if some of them pan out little by little, you know, obviously. But I think it's the fact that they've brought in some prospects too. So it's not just we're always talking about the same one guy putting all the, all, all the eggs in one basket on Banfield and waiting for that to happen. You know, that you, you fortify a position of need there. And with Luzardo, I mean, you can't knock the control factor of it, the fact that he could still be here for about six years. What you hope is that he turns out to be, you know, not just a rotation piece, but a quality rotation piece because he had had, he has had his struggles. This is a guy who some evaluators think is a back end of the rotation guy which they'll take it right now, but in the long, in the big picture, you want him to be some, something, not just a patch, but a guy that can come in and become a stable factor in, in that rotation. And also, as we know very well from the Douglas days, you know, he had T he had Tommy John really early in, in his career, in his life, really. So you want, you hope that he continues to be durable. You hope that he can, um, you know, continue to stay in there, and pitch he's still only 23 he's going to turn 24 now pretty much at the very end of this season so definitely a young pitcher who has some some mileage on his arm a little bit already but not anything crazy yet where you know you hope he can be productive for the next couple of years yeah so far jesus lazario throughout his career his nlb career uh 31 games he's played in 15 starts 115 strikeouts in 109 innings with uh, 115 strikeouts against 36 walks, 258 batting average against. Uh, he's primarily been a starter. He's been out of the bullpen his second stint up this year because he had that IL stint where he had the hairline fracture after slamming his hand on a table after playing video games. I haven't directly experienced that, but I can relate to it. Oh, I have. <laughs> oh, there were many. There were many years of Madden where I almost, I almost did that to myself yeah. multiple times. Yeah, but to go back to his early days, and I'm hoping this isn't an, a Jordan makes Andre feel old moment. But can you reflect on what you saw from him when you got to see him back in the high school days? Yeah, quality pitcher. Like I said, I mean before. I mean, you you look at he always had the stuff that made you think this kid can definitely you know, pitch at the next level. Anytime you see a lefty that can do some of the things that he can, you know, mix his pitches the way he could, kept hitter, you know, the way the, it just, he just looked the part from those days at Douglas where you're like, if this kid continues to develop, the question always back then was durability because of the procedure that he had back then. You know, now you see the, you know, the, the incident that you just mentioned, you hope that you just hope he can stay on the mound 
and now, I mean, when you look at his results, some of the numbers you read, they're not that, you know, they're not impressive in, in the sense that, you know, since, since his 2020 season, he's taken a step back. So you hope he can maybe recover some of that form in the last, you know, in the next couple of years. And maybe, I mean, I say next couple of years, but let's start with the rest of this season. I mean, like you're saying, he's gonna get a he's gonna get the chance right away. It sounds like he, by the time people hear this, he'll have had the chance to pitch already on you know for the Marlins make his debut. So you you hope that especially a team that needs it so badly right now, he could pitch a little more toward the guy who who you know who threw four twelve his second season in the majors was you know fifty nine strikeouts, only seventeen walks. I mean, those are the type of numbers you want to see from him. A little bit more, even though this year's strikeouts per nine is actually a little bit better than it was last season. But the strikeouts per walk ratio, pretty down from where it was the last couple of seasons. So you want to see him attack the zone and 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 be a little more effective. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the hope is he can stabilize the rotation spot. Which the back end of the Marlins rotation, when you look at just their rotation in general, that's normally going to be a middle of a rotation spot for for a decent amount of teams. Uh, yeah. You have Sandy Alcantara and Trevor Rogers still holding on the top two spots. Uh, Eliezer Hernandez started a rehab assignment uh, last weekend with yes, Double A Pensacola. The big, yeah. uh, general manager, Kim Ang, said the hope is that he'll be back in the next couple weeks. And they're also hoping that Pablo Lopez is back by the end of August. So you factor those yeah. four, plus Jesus Lazardo, plus Zach Thompson, who's held his own in the eight starts he's had to make. He's basically shored up one of those spots that has been – basically void throughout the entire season, plus the potential rise of Edward Cabrera, knock on wood, could they potentially have a full rotation before the season comes to an end for the first time this year? Yeah, I mean, it won't really matter for this season probably, but at this, but it's good to get those guys the development time that they've missed out on, especially when you talk about Cabrera, when you talk about, you know, He's talking even about Pablo. I mean, yeah, he's more of a veteran right now when you, in, in this group. But still, I mean, just quality innings. And you're trying to also not burn too many guys out, too. You want to have enough options where you're not taxing arms down the stretch where you don't really need to. But really, this these last, what are we down to, 60 or so games? Yeah, we're I just mean, under 60 games. Yeah, Just under 60 games, 58, 59, whatever it is. It, you have to see what you've gotten a lot of guys. You have to continue to develop a lot of guys, really, and toward next season to try and prepare and piece this rotation. You know, you're not going to piece it. You're obviously going to have more options in spring training and in the offseason, et cetera. But, you know, the ones that you know you're counting on in the long term, this is their, this is their trial run right now. Guys like Lazardo guys like Edward Cabrera that need to continue their development and bridge toward how you want to shape it next season when hopefully you don't have to deal with this, you know, incredible rash of injuries that they had, you know, for so many weeks. And speaking of development, away from the pitching side, as you mentioned, it's going to be seeing a lot of prospects over the next two months. One spot that's going to be very interesting to see just what the Marlins do First base, Jesus Aguilar is still with the club. He wasn't traded at the deadline. And with that, he continues to have that starting spot over Lewin Diaz, who they're hoping to be the first baseman of the future. I asked both uh, Don Mattingly and Kim Ang right after the trade deadline, 
what's the plan with Lewin? And they both basically reiterated that if there's not consistent at-bats up here, they need to have him at a place where he's getting consistent at-bats, which as a Sunday brought him back down to AAA, which to me, I again, this is nothing against Jesus Aguilar. We know what he produces. We know the 75 RBI going into, Mon- going into Monday, the 18 home runs, just the potential, what he does on the field and also in the clubhouse with his personality and that leadership role. But when you're thinking about the long-term part with the Marlins, basically they're going to get a chance to have a sample size of just about every big prospect they want to, except for their potential first baseman of the future. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because you do want him to play. I mean, look, from looking at where Jesus situation is right now, yeah, you have options. You can keep them in there. Maybe you can, you know, it's a matter of, I don't know why they can't just maybe divide it pretty much evenly among them, you know, and try to get him as much as he can, try to get Lewin as much as he can down the stretch. Jesus is going to be in the same situation next year. He's RB eligible coming up. And then after that, that would be it unless you're going to keep him. But why are you going to keep him if you have, if you're trying to bring up Lewin? I mean, for now, look, it, it doesn't hurt for, to have him there, but in the long run, yeah, they have to make a decision. And, I, and I'd want to see what, what, what the rookie can do as much as possible down the stretch to continue to get, like, again, it's similar to the pitchers, continue to their development and see if they can, you know, handle that at the major league level. I mean, you're not talking about a guy making his debut at this point. Lewin's already, he's, he's already tasted what it's like in the majors a little bit. Now you want to see what he can do consistently having at-bats at the major league level, and that's the next step in his development. Yeah, and the only thing with Jesus about keeping up next year is once the new CBA comes in and the hope of the universal DH, then you'll be, it gives you a reason to keep Aguilar and have that power back there, but at this if that point, happens, if right. it happens. But also, I think they kind of did get handcuffed a bit, which, again, if they kept Lewin up here, the logic would have checked out with Cooper being out for the season. The fact that their first base staff beyond Lewin is really non-existent. Yeah. And who do they really have outside of Lewin if an injury does happen to Jesus or you need to find time way to give him all, time off because he's not going to play all 58 games, 50-some games on the stretch. Right. Who's the number well, two? And that's and that's why you keep them both for now. But I mean, in the off season, unless you just cut ties and you don't want to pay him whatever he's doing in arbitration or something like that. But I mean, for now, at least it gives you the option there. And and look, and Lewin is still young too. I mean, you know, he'll get his at bats down the stretch here, but maybe you go in the next season thinking he's the guy already. You know, based off, it's not like he's going to do anything now that's going to jeopardize, I think, his job going in the next season or go, or being, you know, the quote-unquote, like, projected first baseman of the future. Definitely. And to transition to our second topic, Saturday pregame, about 45 minutes before first pitch of the second game against the Yankees, the Marlins announced that manager Don Mattingly tested positive for COVID-19. He is away from the team. He had mild symptoms despite being vaccinated. And with that, with the positive test and the symptoms, he's required to isolate from the team for at least 10 days. And with that, James Rousen, bench coach, is serving as the acting manager for the club until Donnie returns. And with that, this is 
sort of a pseudo audition, I think you can say, for James Rousen. I mean, he's a guy based off just the two years he's been with the club. And with last offseason, he he did apply and was a finalist for the Red Sox manager job. This mm. is basically a chance for him to to show what he's got in this spot. Well, I first before anything, um, sorry to hear that about about Donnie for sure. And we hope that you know he continues to be all yeah. right and you know recovers from it okay, you know, first and foremost. But then yeah, going going to Rousen. A little little joke. I want to put it not joke, but um, a certain athletic writer at one point did a 2023 projection and said and got a got a rise out of some people saying future manager James Rousen of the Miami Marlins. So it, it it was funny that yeah, you're right. It's his audition now. I he he's a, he's the successor. I mean, at some point. I mean, whenever whenever it does happen. I know they just extended Donnie a, a little longer, but. At some point when, you know, maybe either Donnie calls it a career or, or moves on or they decide to part ways, whatever, he's he's in, he's the guy. I mean, unless they were to go outside, if they change their minds and go outside the franchise to look for a bigger name or something like that. But as of right now, that's always, to me, that he his experience with the Twins and what he was able to accomplish there, I think, would put him in that in that spot to be the next guy up. I think, and now, now we're gonna get it. It's hard to gauge off only whatever it ends up being nine, ten games, especially in the situation the Marlins are in right now, where you're already sort of looking toward the following season. But I think this is a guy that you judge more based on the the full body of work and what he's been able to do since they hired him in terms of development, in terms of the way he, the effect he's had on the hitters, and and. And just the, the the positive impact that you could see that he's had so far since he's joined the franchise. Yeah, and it's he's the successor here, or if some some other team tries to poach him in the offseason with yeah, that could happen too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I definitely manager material for sure. I mean, we knew that. That's not anything new. I think we knew that com- coming in, even after what he did in Minnesota, the the impressive jump that that their hitters had in over the over like that two, three year span over there. Yeah, and with that, um, <clears throat> we talked with James about just the opportunity to be to be in the managerial role. Obviously, not the circumstances that he wanted in order to get the opportunity to do it, but he did exp- express what the, what the opportunity does mean to him and what he's hoping to take away from it. And also, we talked with a couple players about what they've seen from James over the last two years. So, first off, here's James Rousen talking about the opportunity and then also shortstop Miguel Rojas about what he's seen from James Rousen in his time with the Marlins. Uh, well, obviously it was um, getting, getting the news to managers is not the way you'd like to get it. First of all, I just want to make sure Donnie's healthy and, and can get through this stuff and return and, and get back to doing what he does. So obviously it's not the way you, you look forward to that, but once it happened, um, it was good. It was a team effort. Um, everybody got together and we just kind of picked up the slack. That's one of the good things about working with everybody as a club. Like things can move quick, but when you kind of go to each coach in their area, all these guys are prepared. We kind of talk it through. So it made it a lot easier just with the, the way these guys prepare themselves for the game. James Ferris, now with you in the role you're now, with managing something you're considering we'd want to do long term down the road? Um, I always say, you know, focus on the job you have. You know, that's what we tell our players to do. 
you know, focus on, on the job you have. So, like, right now I'm, I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing, um, but right now the role is to fill in for Donnie and then kind of move forward doing this. So I'm going to do that, you know, as expected, hoping Donnie gets back healthy and, and quickly as possible. But at, at this time, like you say, focused on the task at hand. Has there been anything, I guess, over the last few days you've been able to bring to being the active manager, maybe just more so than, you know, just being the bench coach or, you know, offensive coordinator? Yeah. yeah, you hear me say a lot, this game is a game of relationships, you know, so everything we do in life is about relationships. It's about the people. I mean, we play a game and it's great, but at the end of the day, it's about the people. So I feel like it, it's not that much of a change because all season long you build relationship with the players the position players the pitchers everybody involved i mean the more you can do that with the group um these transitions become a little easier you know so it's it's been you know the focus on the game and different things um that's been you know pretty cool kind of going through that a little bit and, and having having those things happen for the first time but like i said the staff we have here is amazing um it, they've helped me through so many things and talked through some scenarios and situations so it's been kind of um you know, let's knock on wood, but it's been, you know, it's enjoyable because nothing's been really catching you off guard with the group we have here. It does it speed up at all? You know how, like, the game can speed up for players? Does it speed up for you? Um, it hasn't yet because I'm usually sitting there thinking along with Donnie and the role I have. So I've, I'm kind of been used to thinking ahead of the game, thinking some batters ahead, some pitchers ahead, scenarios ahead. So, you know, but it's a difference between just getting in his ear and suggesting and then having to get blamed for it, right? So <laughs> so at the end of the day, I mean, I, I would say the difference is now I can't just suggest it in Donnie's ear, but i got to decide whether to do it or not, which is obviously something you got to get used to. But it's been pretty cool so far. That's the fun part, isn't it? Absolutely, right? <laughs> yeah, you've been Donnie's right-hand man as the bench coach. Who's been your right-hand man, so to speak, over these last few days as sort of like a pseudo-bench coach for you? You know, I say honestly, I've, I've relied on this entire group. Um, if you look through the entire group, um, you know, Trey Hellman's got a lot of experience in his game and been around the game a long time. But so he, he's been very helpful. Mel's been phenomenal. And then, you know, no, 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 these guys prepared great, you know, between Eric Duncan and Eddie Rodriguez. And I mean, I, I, if you watch here in the game, Keith Johnson, there's so many, so many times I just go and I'm talking to all these guys and I'm getting their opinions and their thoughts because they're experts in their area. I mean, that's what you do when you hire a coaching staff. You're looking to hire experts in their area and you have to rely on those experts and trust those experts to do what they do best. So at the end of the day, um, they know their areas better than better than anyone else. So you trust those guys, and it's really been a complete team effort, you know, without Donnie being here at this point. Oh, he's ready. He's, uh, he's a guy who's been in, in baseball for a long time. He knows the game. He knows the both sides of the, of, of the ball, you know, hitting and pitching and defense. Uh, he got a great group, group of guys around him, too, you know, like our, our coaching staff is is on top of the little things, so they're they're as prepared as the players, and and they come here every single day uh, to put in work, you know, to to get prepared for the game, to get us ready in every aspect of the game. And I think Jairo is just a is just a step away from the opportunity to manage in the big leagues. He's uh, uh, been amazing, and he's uh, been really really great uh, having the opportunity to uh, meet some some uh, a, a person. Are so kind like him, 
uh, I feel like uh, Jero is a uh, is better better person than a coach, and that's always something that you look for in a, in a manager. You know, like you want this guy who's always uh, up for the players and always looking for uh, the way to help you as a player. So for me, Jero is just a step away uh, from from being a manager in a big league club, and he's been so awesome for us in the offensive part and. Uh, Especially with me, our relationship has been growing so much in these last two years. All right. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to go international and do some Olympic baseball recapping. So we will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back, everyone. Uh, Olympic baseball, first time since 2008. We are underway. There's about four days in. The the tournament ends on Saturday. And USA got off to a pretty strong start. They swept group stage, beat Israel 8-1, beat South Korea 4-2, and then started their knockout stage against Japan, lost 7-6 in 10 innings. Uh. Offense looked great. Tristan Casas, Pembroke or Paul, uh, Plantation American Heritage alum, hit a three-run home run, helped start a rally earlier than that. And then we get to the ninth inning where one-time Marlon Scott Magoo blows the blows the save, and one-time Marlon Edwin Jackson, who we can all say is a one-time insert almost any other team in the league. Gave up the walk-off hidden extras. Right, right when you bring this up is when I stop whistling the theme song, the John Williams theme song. I was trying to give you a little background there. <laughs> oh, I know. Plus, that I, that full count should have been strike call probably there yeah. with one out when they were up 6-5. I mean, that's the frustrating part because it just shows you, again, how one call can just turn a whole inning. And, oh. Edwin Jackson, who literally has pitched for half the major leagues, including the Marlins. Uh, I mean, are, are, you're not shocked, are you? No, I'm, especially this time of year. enough of this this season. Especially when we're in August. No, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I mean, it just sucks because, I, I mean, look, and they're still alive. They're not, but now it's a harder road. It's a similar bracket almost to like the College World Series or an NCAA regional with the double elimination, but it's not as difficult though because it's a it's a couple of must-win games, not three or four like it happens in college baseball. And then suddenly you're in the gold medal match again. You're in the gold medal game. You know, so, at, this, at this point, they really – it's only one must-win game in order to get into the medal contention. If they, correct. Yeah, right. they play 11 o'clock on Tuesday – if they win that game, they get they will play on Thursday against the loser of the Japan South Korea semifinal. Right. Whoever wins that game Thursday morning will go into the gold medal game against the Japan South Korea winner. 
Right. Well, well, that's where, and, and bronze medal game. This is where I say it's better than college because at that point in college, you'd have to be, you'd be in that situation where you have to beat the team twice just to get yep. to the finals and all exactly. that. Here, it's not as difficult. So, it, you ha- it, obviously are in must-win mode, but you know you're playing, you know you're you're, you're playing a winnable sec- uh, game there at first because even like the Dominican side. This isn't the, the the Dominican side with all with all the big guns like they like they usually have it in the WBC. And then after that, yeah, you were in a dogfight with Japan. You know, you could probably hang with them. Korea's looked pretty good too. So yeah. one way or the other, that's the difficult one, obviously, to get into the gold medal game. But even if at this point the US were to medal after that loss, that'd be something remarkable considering the road they'd have to travel to get back into it. But it's been fun watching you know, the team that they put together. I mean, Tristan Casas, man, I'm telling you, I still kind of wish things had gone a little differently and he had stayed at home, but he's looking like a guy who will be the Red Sox first baseman sooner than later. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Tristan Casas, uh, he's four for 13 with two home runs, a double and six RBI through the first three games. Uh, to bring back the Marlins tying to it, Eddie Alvarez trying to be just the sixth athlete ever to medal in both the summer and winter games. And making plays, but Eddie's yeah. not just playing. No, he's been, not, he's, he's yeah. been fantastic. I mean, he's four for 12. He had two doubles in the first game. He scored four runs. His defense at second base has been absolutely phenomenal. He made a nice play at the end of that game, even though even, even in defeat there. Yeah, yeah, the game time, the ground out that brought the game tying run. It was a high chopper. He looked home and immediately made the twitch play to go the first, just to get the the guaranteed ground to get the guaranteed force out. Even mm-hmm. though when he saw there was no play at home, turned a great double play in the first inning of the game against Japan. Made and just been solid. He's covered up a couple mistakes also with some caught with some caught stealing attempts as well that stopped some balls from dribbling into the outfield and getting. But having guys go from first to third as well. Mm-hmm. That skates. Yeah. Skates, they, they, they call them out there. I mm-hmm. love that. But yes. yeah, he's had a good tournament. It's great to see. Great to see him make history the way he has, you know. And then, you know, being the flag bearer on top of that at the beginning, that, that an amazing honor for him. So, you know, hopefully they can turn it around. There's still time. Hopefully by this time next week, we're talking about the U.S. doing something, whether it's a gold or maybe at least, you know, silver or bronze. If, if they can turn it around and, and get a couple of wins in the next couple of days. Yeah, definitely. It's been fun to watch. <clears throat> Everything is available on the, on NBCOlympics.com. Most of USA baseball's games have been on either NBC sports network or USA. And read Jordan's uh, recaps. He's getting up early as heck in the morning, man. You got to get up like at 5 a.m. to cover these TV, cover these games. Wait, wait, wait. getting up. That's that's implying that I've been sleeping after covering a Marlins game the night before coming back. All right. Okay. I, I yeah yeah yeah. You don't you don't sleep in, my friend. You you're 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 a hard worker. I, I I know. Yeah, but again, Olympics has been fun. Just watching everything in general with the U.S. been good. I mean, again, gonna bring out my Gator ties here between the softball team that had three Gators on there: Kelsey Stewart, Michelle Moultrie, Aubrey Monroe. I yeah. covered Kelsey Stewart and Aubrey Monroe my first two years at at the University of Florida. Uh, Caleb Dressel in the pool, five gold. I was going to ask because Caleb Dressel is the one that's been taking the Olympics by storm with yeah. what he's been doing. And how much did you cover him over there? Um, I only covered him. I only did about a year of swimming, but I did get to cover. I did get to cover a little bit of his rise up there, mm-hmm. but 
but again, he was also very sheltered in terms of the media aspect, which again, with college athletics, it's usually a lot of protecting the athletes and whatnot. And there was a lot of interest in him. So they more or less just kept him away. So I covered him, but I didn't really get to interact with him as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in the baseball side, the USA's catcher, Mark Colzavari was the number three catcher in the three years that I covered UF. He's now a top prospect in the Reds organization and has been pretty solid during He had three hits against Japan. He's caught all 28 innings. Uh, and then track and field later on, Grant Holloway, who's going to run the 110 hurdles. He's the world the world leader this year and has potential to break some world records, records in the hurdles. So, and just U.S. overall has been doing well, which again, as expected, obviously, uh, soccer, women's soccer, Dropped a heartbreaker right before the Japan game on on Monday, but they have not looked. Ultimately, they have not looked like themselves throughout the entire tournament, though. No, they haven't, which is kind of shocking, you know, considering the type of team that they always have, and you know the way they can dominate the world. It's disappointing when they don't at least play for the gold medal. You know what I mean? They're usually in that dogfight with, uh, you know, with Brazil, let's say. But um, their loss is an FSU alums uh, or an FSU player's gain, actually. Playing for the Canadians is Gabrielle Carley of of FSU soccer team. So, yeah, you know, the the, the Seminoles, who I cover now, have have some representation too, as well as a diver, Katrina Young, in the 10 meter platform, we know the diving events are about to start, you know, out in Tokyo. This and now that the swimming's done, so keeping an eye on some of the knolls too. And as I see my friend through the screen here, uh, cringing as I say that, you know, being Mr. Gainesville over here. No, I was mostly just waiting because Canada also has two Gators on their team, Deanne Rose and uh, oh, look at that, Leon, So look at that, enemies uh, rivals unite. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, when it's on the international stage, the college. Yeah, the college, we put everything aside, and right, of course. I know. Yeah. We're just, and we're just and also, I guess we and since we brought up UF and FSC, we gotta give the five UM players. There are five people with UM ties who have. There you who, go. Or in the Olympics, primarily from when we go to the baseball side, Danny Valencia is on Team Israel, mm-hmm. and he's hit a couple massive home runs as well, including one against Team USA. Team Israel, who's still still in it, still yep. in it, still in that elimination game with the Dominican Republic. Yep, and also on Team USA, Marlins left-handed pitching prospect Jake Fishman. There you go. So we still have a second Marlin. He's made a couple appearances. Hey, it could be do or die Israel U.S. game. Yeah. Next. Yeah. And I one mean, time Marlin Ryan Lavarnway is also on Team Israel catching there. That's and right. He's had. I mean, I haven't checked since the first two games, but. Yeah, I think it was like five hits in the first two games. So yeah. good to see Ryan. Ryan's been Ryan Lavarnway has been one of those key figures. Has been a part of the the rise of the Israel baseball team in the last few years. You know, both here and what they accomplished. You know, getting to the W, getting uh, past the first round into the second round of the WBC a few years ago. That great story that that everybody saw. You know, a few years back. So been one of those key figures for them. Yeah. Yep. And now to, before we wrap up, just one quick update. The Marlins did sign Khalil Watson on Sunday, right a few hours right before yes. the deadline. With that, they signed 20 of their 21 draft picks. The only one they didn't sign was 
16th rounder Ivan Melendez, the infielder from the University of Texas, which was more or less an inevitability. He was one of those guys where it's, it's the late round. If you have a chance, you might as well see if you can sign him, even though it's highly unlikely. Or adds the last-ditch effort of if the Cleo Watson signing didn't happen, you would have the money to be able to to pay a guy to basically not go to college for the final year. But the Marlins were from the start, even though there were some tense points at times, they were basically confident from the start that Cleo Watson was going to Well, yeah, and and don't – and anyone listening, do not take for granted how important that was to lock up a guy like him who, if he pans – if he turns out to anything close to what they're projecting him to be, you know, you're you're looking at potentially another Jazz Chisholm type or or who knows, maybe even better – that you have in the middle infield for years to come and ask the Mets about locking up their first round piece or not. I mean, look at, uh, you know, now Kumar rocker, a talent like him who, who slipped to the Mets at number 10 and they don't get the deal done or they choose not to. Well, you know, they better, better hope it doesn't bite you because Kumar is going to keep pitching and keep training for the next year. And, he may go even higher up. He probably will go even higher up next season if all goes well for him. I mean, looking at maybe he could end, he could land in Arizona when the Diamondbacks take that number one next season, and what a get that would be for them. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, that's going to conclude this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez, and we will be back again next week. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>